0: Good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to be here this morning with our brothers, our sisters, friends. And I'm thankful that I'm here amongst friends because at the beginning of this year, and what are we now? May, so I'm not, I'm not moving right along in the, at the pace that I wanted. At the beginning of this year, I decided I wanted to work to better myself at things in this life. One of those things was my health, my diet, uh, my, my body shape, try to, to make some of these things better than they were in 2018. One of those things was the way that I present my sermons and trying to get away from my reliance on, on my notes. And, and to do that, I challenged myself at the beginning of the year to start preaching from note cards. And here it is in May, and I'm finally getting around to it. I say that to say this, I'm reminding myself I'm amongst friends, and so this being the first time I've done this, please be patient with me. I want to try and, and present God's Word in a manner and a way that, that says to you and says to those who listen that I'm confident in what I have studied. And I am confident in what I have studied, especially on what I'm talking about today. And, and what I want you to take away from this is that God has a plan not only for you, not only for mankind, He has a plan for this church, And He has a plan for the individual families of this church. And to do that and to understand that, we need to look and spend some time with what God says about our families and what God God says about the family of the church. One thing that Phil brought out, and if you weren't able to be here for all of Phil's lessons of our gospel meeting, you missed a, a great opportunity to grow. I was pressed. I was convicted. I was in many ways convicted that... I think I said the same word twice there. But I I was pressed in many ways to grow in this meeting. There's many things that I needed to be doing better that he brought to the surface. And I know some of you have felt the same way as well. If you would like to listen to those, I encourage you, please go to our website and and check those out. They're all made available there. One of the things that he challenged us in, in many of those lessons, is organizing ourselves in the way in which God would have us organized. And that is to, to have elders and to have deacons. And you know, when I think about that, maybe it's because of where I am in my life today, but I think about children. God's Word is filled with talk about children. If we miss that, we've missed a huge part of what He is trying to convey to us. From from the examples of Christ drawing children to Him. Taking them in his arms, embracing them, telling his disciples, You need to be like children. And if anyone causes one of these to stumble, it is worse or better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck. It is obvious that God wants us to know a lot about children. But specifically tonight, this morning, I'm thinking of 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 and, and in verse 4. Which says talking about elders, talking about an overseer, a pastor, a bishop, He says that they are to be one who rules his own house well having his children in submission with all reverence. I'm thinking of Titus chapter one. And in verse six, again, talking about elders says, "If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation, not accused of insubordination." Clearly, God is bringing to us the thought that if I'm going to have men who are leading my church, I expect those men to have families and to be families that have created and have fostered obedient children, faithful children. And I put it that way for a reason. And we're going to get to that reason in a minute. We need to be people who are creating faithful children. And we need to be people who are fostering faithful children as well if we're going to be serious about God's commands for us to organize and to set ourselves up as the way that He expects for His churches, what He's telling us is we have to be serious about children. We have to be serious about our kids. So let me tell you about a kid that I saw running wild at a grocery store. I think it was a grocery store. Um, It was one of these stores that has the, the, the racks that are set up uh, and they hang various things on them. Sometimes it's clothing. Sometimes it's you know, whatever it is they're on, on display. They have this stuff hanging. This kid is running amok. His, his mother cannot get him under control. She has resorted to putting a backpack on him with a leash, trying to keep this kid under control. And, and as I remember correctly, he was wrapped around one of those display things, and, and she's trying to get him unwrapped from that. This kid was rude, This kid was hateful. He specifically looks his mother in the eye and says, I I hate you, and I I wish you were dead. And every time she asks him to do something, he's on the ground just screaming, No, I don't want to do that. I tell you that story because I want you to know from the beginning, the purpose of this lesson is for me. The recipient of this sermon is for me. Because that's me. That kid is me. That was my childhood. I was the one that mom had on a leash. I don't think she ever had Derek on a leash. She had me on a leash. I was the one that refused to listen. I was the one that when she told me I couldn't go spend some time with my friends, walked up to her and said, I wish you were dead. I hate you. I also remember her response that day was swift right across my mouth. I've never forgotten that. This sermon is a sermon that I've put together because I need to be serious about raising godly children. And I hope that as we go through it, I hope that there are things that you can relate with as well. And you can say, I need to be serious about raising godly children as well. Because what happened to me was they saw my disobedience. They saw the way that I acted and they disciplined me. And I hated them for it then I did. I, I, so many times I saw it, and I was like, why are you just being so mean to me? But today I look back on them and say, I love you because you cared enough for me to not let that go on. So what I want to talk about is I want to talk about raising our children right. And that's every part of that phrase is important because we are charged with raising them. It's not that we are charged to just walk alongside them And just kind of witness how things happen as they go through life. We're charged with being active in their life, promoting them towards growth in a certain direction. But we're also charged with doing that in the correct way. And sometimes, well, it's very obvious that that's not happening. I want us to see that there are three mistakes that are often made in discipline today. Three mistakes that I have made myself in discipline today. The first one is, we just don't do it. Have you ever heard someone just kind of talk about their children and say, I could never tell little Johnny or I could never tell little Susie no. I have a close relative who, who's taken up, uh, not just apparently, they've told us, we've taken up this parenting model. We're never going to use the word no. And you can imagine what kind of child that they are producing, what kind of child they're bringing forth. They're an all right kid. But they have never heard any negative response towards their actions. And so they just continue to do things unless it promotes a negative response in their life. If he jumps off the back of a truck and gets hurt, he's not going to jump off the back of a truck anymore. But he's not going to do it unless there's a negative response in his life. So that's the kind of attitude that we see sometimes in the world. We can't imagine reprimanding our children. We can't imagine spanking our children. I couldn't do that because I love them too much to to have that sort of negative impact in their life. And you know what happens? Who children who who suffer from parents that fail to discipline? Children who have parents who don't discipline die. I want that to sink in because that's what happens. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and read with me verses 1 through 3. Paul starts off here saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, he's quoting that from the Old Testament. And we're talking about physical death here. We're talking about a physical response to disobedience. And that physical response was, you might get stoned. If you dishonor your father and your mother, you very well could find yourself amidst the congregation of Israel with rocks in hand, ready to end your life for your disobedience. So children, he says, obey your father and mother. But that's just as striking to the parents. How many parents do you think in the Old Testament, sometimes I get the feeling we read the Bible and we just don't think that they were people at all. How many of them do you think just kind of a rock in their back pocket like, I'm so ready for my kid to smart off to me. I'm going to just sling this thing over at them. I don't think any parent wanted to stone their children. When they read this, and, it was, and, and you read that and you think, oh, that must, that must mean the children are going to obey because they're afraid they might die. That also meant that parents were going to teach their children because they were afraid they might die. We are going to be serious about this. Because physically, this could have ramifications in their life. But I want us to go beyond physical. And I want us to see that the death that they might, that, that, that is, is going to be felt by those who are not dis, uh, disciplined, is also a spiritual death. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, and in verse 15, the proverb writer says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Sometimes we look to our children, and, and I tell you, I do the same thing. I look to my kids, and I'm like, man, they are swell. They are, they're cute. They dress good. Ryder's packing around his briefcase like a little, like a little lawyer guy. I mean, just I look at them, and I'm like, oh, how can you not love that? But we have to remember. Foolishness is bound up inside of that cute exterior. There's foolishness at the heart. And it's our job to drive that foolishness away from them. And we need to understand what that means because the world today does not get foolishness and the seriousness of it. How many times have you heard somebody say, oh, they're they're just acting foolish? That guy's just acting foolish? That's all it is. He don't mean anything by it. He ain't trying to hurt anything by it. That's not the way God uses foolishness. That's not the way that God is using foolishness here. When He says foolishness is at the heart of the child, we should think Psalms 14 and verse 1. Psalms 14 verse 1, "...the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good." Foolishness is wickedness in the eyes of God. When he says that foolishness is in the heart of a child, he's saying there's a wickedness there that needs to be drawn out of them. They have learned from the world. They have learned sometimes from our examples. They have learned from friends to be wicked. They see that. They're in a world filled by that. We are influenced by that. We should not be surprised that our children are influenced by it as well. Their hearts hold up and store up foolishness, wickedness, and we need to see that if we do nothing about that that we're killing them spiritually we're taking away the chance that they have we need to be the kind of parents to say i want to give you every chance to live with god and we can't do that if we do nothing now we also can't do that we also can't do that if we do that angry this can't be done angry you ever <laughs> i've i've approached discipline in the past It's almost like I've got my kids by the shoulder and I'm shaking and saying, I want you to see God! Quit doing that! Man, I've approached discipline angry before. I've come at it with just fury. You can't do that. You can't show them how to draw foolishness out of their lives, how to draw wickedness out of their lives in a wicked way. And so that brings up the next mistake that we make. And these mistakes, I hope you see, they're reactionary. Reacting to not disciplining oftentimes brings actions that are too fast. Actions that are too hard. Actions that are too wrathful. We we need to slow down. Because we have to. We have to discipline our children. Proverbs 13 is another one to turn to. Let's let's look over there. Proverbs 13 and verse 24 reminds us. says, "...he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly." There's a bunch in this passage. We read that passage, and you know what the world has done and generations and generations of Christians have done? Read that passage and say, if you ain't spanking your kid, you hate him. That is not the full message of that passage. We need to unpack that passage more when we read it. That there is something to loving our children which prompts us to discipline them and to discipline them in a certain way. He says, promptly discipline them. But we read that sometimes and we think, okay, promptly, I haven't done this in the past, so now I'm coming in like the mighty fist of God and I'm ready to just lay down judgment on my children. And we would do well to remember what James 1.19 tells us. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath, we need to be slow with our discipline. We do. If we are coming into, into this acting this hard, then oftentimes what we have done is we have taken the command to act promptly and replaced it with the command or with our own command to act in anger. I tell you, sometimes I, I talk and I hear what people from older generations say. My dad used to tell us this all the time. He'd say, he'd say that his dad used to go out and he'd make him pip, pick the switch. And then he was going to whip him up one side and down the other, up the hallway, down the hallway. The dog was hiding under the bed. It was so afraid of what was going on. And, and generations talk about this, and I can't help but listen and go, I don't think that's quite right. That's scary to me. I, I think there may be something even illegal by what's happening in your household. That's not, that's not exactly the picture that we see of godly discipline. We need to slow down. All too often, I know that I've been in the past, I've been turned up to 11 when it comes for discipline. Phasers have been sent to death. I've activated instant kill mode, and I can't think of any other pop culture references that are going to go over the top in their their actions. We are way up here. And what happens is a rolling thunder scenario of discipline. I say rolling thunder. When I was was a little bit younger, I loved uh, this video game where you... The whole purpose of the game was you were one field, you're, you know, you're one army and there's another army and you're fighting one another, and whoever kills the most people on the other team wins. And that was this just great game to me because there was a, a reward if you did really good. And that reward was you got to call in a B 52 Strata bomber. He's coming in fully loaded, you pick the path, I want you to go right through here on the map and I want you to drop all your bombs right there. And it didn't matter if the dots on the map were red or green, everything dies. That was the, like, the ultimate weapon in this game and I couldn't wait to get it. And then I realized, you know what, sometimes that's the way I approach discipline with my children. I'm walking down the hallway, I hear somebody, ow, I hear somebody, stop it, I hear, this is going on, that's going on, and here comes rolling thunder. Dad's coming in like a whirlwind, arms are getting yanked up, butts are getting spanked, and everybody's crying, and then I'm going back out the room, and the kids are still like, I don't have a clue what happened. What was that? What did we do wrong? And then, every time, every single time, you hear the little crying voice, I was just sitting on the couch. I wasn't even involved. And how do we justify that? We say, well, you probably did something sometime that needed to get a spanking. That's not the way God disciplines. Ezekiel 18, you turn to Ezekiel 18, he says that the the children of Israel were saying the the children are being punished for the sins of their father. He says, I'm going to put a stop to that proverb today. You're being punished because of your own sins. And he, did, he builds up this teaching saying, The soul, all souls belong to me. The soul that sins will die, but the soul that does justly will live. That's godly discipline. He's pouring out judgment, he's pouring out discipline on the people who need it. And when we act fast, when we act hard, we're not usually we're usually not depicting godly judgment in our own discipline but again there's a reaction to that there's a reaction maybe in the past your parents acted hard maybe in the past you saw loved ones family members whose parents acted hard and you said you know what that was wrong they were behaving wrong in the way they treated their children and so i'm going to i'm going to i've got to do something I've got to discipline my kids, but I'm going to do something different from them. I'm just going to talk to them. And we fall into this next mistake that we just talk too much. We get soft. We we start talking to them. Every time something's wrong, don't do that. I don't think that's a good idea. You should stop. Or we start making threats. And I'm going to tell you right now, threats are not a bad idea. Threats work. God threatens us. We, We call it a warning. Say he's given us warnings, but it's a threat. But the difference between his threats and our threats are his are are full. And oftentimes ours are empty. Empty threats only illustrate to your children that I'm a liar. When we tell our children, if you do this, I'm going to punish you. And then they do it. And we go, ah, put me on the spot. I don't want to do that. Uh, Don't do it again. You know what we're telling them? Mom and dad don't have to be trusted. They, they don't have, they're not going to do the things that they say. Or what about counting? Have you ever counted? You ever counted? I've counted. I remember I was actually, the other day I was, saw somebody in the store and they're, they're pushing their buggy and the kids climb on the buggy and bouncing around and I'm probably doing a lot of other things I didn't see, but I just remember hearing them go, you need to stop that. You, one, two, you, don't make me get to three. I don't know what happened after Three. But I pictured, some point later in this Walmart experience, this this mother on the cart, 977? 978? Stop! (laughs) We need to count. I'm not saying we don't need to count, but we need to count to ourselves. We need to count in here to make sure that we don't do this. When I'm walking down the hallway and I hear my kids fighting, if I count to myself quietly, they don't hear it, but I do. And it gives me time to think, time to listen. And we need to talk to our kids, and we're going to get to that in a minute. I'm not saying throw talking out the, out the door. I'm saying we have to do more than talk. We can't just stop at verbal communication with our kids. We need to communicate them in other ways as well. And I want to dis- demonstrate this in 1 Samuel chapter 2. When you look at Eli, just to give you the context of this passage here, this is, this is the man who has been raising Samuel. His mother, Hannah, she prays to God and she's saying, I I want a child. I haven't had a child. If you'll give me one, I will dedicate him to the service of you. God hears her prayers, gives her Samuel. And Samuel is being raised by Eli. And starting in verse 22, we're going to find out about Eli and the way that he's raised his children. It says, now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Eli knew what was going on. Eli saw the actions of his children, and Eli talked to them. Now you might say, wait a minute, Kyle. These are adult children. What else was Eli to do? You know, we had a really good study at Jay's Place the other day, and Joe brought up a great point. So when the Bible doesn't tell us what happened, we don't have the right to just say this is what happened. We don't know anything about the childhood of Hophni and Phineas, Eli's two, young, two sons, as they are growing up. I have no idea whether Eli spanked them, whether Eli disciplined them in other manners. I have no idea what he did. But I do know this. I do know that if Eli could, could make a change in their early lives that would have caused what was about to happen to them be, to be different, he would say all day long, I wished I had made that change. I wish... I had done that. Eli tells them, you need to stop. They don't stop. And because of that, God follows through with His desire. He kills them. And again, we think of Ezekiel 18. The responsibility falls on them. But we also see that the responsibility fell on Eli to raise children that wouldn't be killed by God. And he failed to do that. So he shares responsibility for what they had. And there's some things that I want us to learn from that account. Number one, the most hardest thing that we read was verse 25. God desired to kill Hophni and Phinehas. You know, we read phrases like that in the Old Testament. And we go, man, that's really hard for me to justify. Trying try to tell people that God loves them. And yet when they go and they read his Bible, they read about him killing out whole civilizations of people. What we need to understand is God did not desire to kill Hophni and Phinehas because they were just just terrible people that He just didn't like. God is doing what He has been doing since the garden. Since the fall of man, God has been purging wickedness from the life of His people. He does that with the Anakim before they go in to Cana. He says, there is wickedness here. I'm going to purge it from among you. And instructs them to go in and wipe it out. He is trying to get rid of evil. And we should love that. Because the culmination of those efforts is heaven. A place without wickedness. A place where the people of God can reside with Him without fear of anything that might harm them. He's telling us, this is what I'm working towards. This is what it looks like. So when we read that, God desired to kill them, what we need to understand is God desires to destroy wickedness. And I asked Ryder to really help me with this because I was having a hard time trying to to get this thought across. And so we sat down and we talked the other day. How's the best way to say this? The Old Testament is filled with physical examples of spiritual truths. When you look at the children physically crossing the Red Sea being saved via water from slavery. It's a physical example of a spiritual truth that happens in baptism today. The Old Testament is filled with that. So when we read that God desired to destroy, to, to, to kill the wickedness in the children of Israel, specifically in the children of Eli here, we need to know that's not changed today. God destry, desires to destroy wickedness. That's the first thing we need to learn. The second thing we need to learn Is that we need to see wickedness? We need to see disobedience the same way. When we view disobedience in our children, parents, we have to stop making excuses. We have to stop looking at them and saying, "Well, they're just so cute." I mean, yeah, he's being sassy. Yeah, she's she's being back talking, but she's just so cute when she does it. We need to stop making excuses. We need to stop thinking of reasons not to, and we need to start going. This disobedience is wickedness. In this, peace, this, this person that I love more than anybody else, I've got to do something about this. And that will bring, bring us to the conclusion that I guarantee you, Eli figured out. Eli figured out on the day that his children were killed, it would have been a lot better for me if I had done that instead of God. It'd have been a lot better for me to try to destroy the wickedness in my children's lives than for him to destroy the wickedness in their adult lives through their death. How many times, how many times have we seen parents who have grown up and said, I wished, I wished I'd just spent a little more time studying with my kids? I wished I'd spent a little more time praying with my kids. I wished I'd spent more time disciplining my kids because they went up, they grew up and they left. And they didn't look back. And they didn't think and I'm not to say I'm not to say that that if you if you do those things there's a guarantee that your children won't still leave, won't still you know not look back and just hit the road and I'm I'm going a different path. That may still happen. But you can look at that circumstance and say I did everything I could to try to stop what God is going to have to do, to try and do my part to humble you instead of letting you be humbled by God. We don't know what Eli could have done to them as children. But we do know the difference it could have made in the children of Israel when they were older. What kind of service could they have been providing for Israel instead of leading Israel further and further away from God? So, these three mistakes. We don't do discipline. We do discipline way too hard. We do discipline way too soft. How do we fix those three mistakes? There's just a few ideas that I want to give you and then I'm going to the, the lesson will be yours. The first one... The one that you probably didn't expect to see up here. We need to be a friend. Have you ever heard someone say your kids don't need you to be their friend, they need you to be their parent? I've said that. I have preached that. I tell you right now, that is a stupid thing to say. <laughs> that is not true. Your kids need you to be their friend. They want you to be their friend because when they're hurting And when they're struggling, and when they have decisions in front of them, they're saying, I don't know what the right thing to do is. Where do you want them to turn? You want them to turn to someone that they trust more than anybody else. I would argue that your friends need to see you as their best friend. They have many people that are important to them, but you are the one that they can confide in. And so we need to start fostering that sort of mindset in our children today by talking to them. Excellent things that we can do around the table, going as we get ready to eat, just say, Hey, what was your day like? What happened today at school, at the playground, amongst your brothers in the backyard? What happened? What what were some things that you liked about today? What were some things that you didn't like? How are you feeling? Are you sad? Are you scared? Are there things going on that I could be doing better to help you? What do you think of me? When we have these conversations, it makes it a little bit easier when we have to have the conversations that say, stop what you're doing. Because if that's all they ever hear from us, we don't look a lot like a friend. We look like an enemy. They need to know that we are there for them to praise them when they do good. And we are there to admonish them, warn them, threaten them, and discipline them when they do evil we need to be a friend to our children we also need to be a rod you know when we read that back over in proverbs we need to be a rod i told you the generations have said that's that right there spanking you got to spank your kids i 100 percent believe that we need to spank our kids i'm not afraid to spank my kids christians don't be afraid to spank your kids I am not the kind of person that goes out in the middle of Walmart and spanks my kids. I take them away from everybody because we need to understand spanking is intimate. It's between you and that child, not between you and everybody else around. It's between you and that child. I'm not trying to, to scare my other children by seeing them, see, letting them see their brother be spanked. I'm trying to teach their brother, you, what you have done is wrong. And so for that reason, I take them when we're in public, we, let's go to the car. Come on, they know where we're going. We're walking over to the vehicle because there's going to be punishment for your action. We need to be a rod. But do you know what that really means? That means we need to be a force. We need to be a force that produces change in our children's lives. When He calls us to be a rod, we read that and we immediately think whippings. And as I've said, that is important for us to see. My favorite phrase I've ever heard about parenting a guy said that parenting is like canoeing. I know we got some people here that kayak, I kayak. If we're ki- you kayakers, you don't, we probably don't get this reference because kayaking is not like canoeing. Parenting is like canoeing. Canoes are best guided when paddled in the rear. You don't get the guy up at the very front of the canoe trying to spin that thing and guide that thing. You're going to end up spinning it around, flipping it. You get the person in the back controlling where that's going. Spanking is incredibly profitable for guiding our children. But you know what else, what else we need to realize? God disciplines us more than just in physical ways. It's not just physical things that we deal with. When you read Isaiah, it becomes very clear. God is disciplining His people by not hearing their prayers because they're separated from one another. If you think timeouts are ridiculous, you have, you're not doing them right. Timeouts work. Timeouts are a, a reflection of the separation that God gives us whenever we sin and disobey Him. But we have to treat timeouts right. Remember, we still have to be a rod in timeouts. We have to be a force. And so, while being a rod doesn't always necessitate that we are this crushing pain, it still has to be painful enough to provoke movement. We had this very lazy dog. Um, I mean, I, I loved him to death, but he just didn't want to do anything else but lay on the porch. And we'd go out there and I'd poke him. Check and see if he's still alive. Are you breathing? And poke him. And he just lay there until I'd take my finger and I'd push a little bit harder. Not enough to hurt him, but enough to make him uncomfortable. I need you to get up and get out of the way so we can let the kids go outside. I'd poke him enough to provoke movement in him. When we are being a force for change, it has to be painful enough to provoke movement, change in our children. So timeouts. We learn very quickly. We can't just send the boys to their room for timeout because there's a lot of toys in there. And then I was like, all right, sit on your bed. They sit on their bed and they get out a book. And I'm very, very thankful to say that they find that enjoyable. But when it comes to time out, I have to say, no books. You can't have those things. You're sitting on your hands, on your bed, not touching anything because this has to be painful for you to see that there needs to be a difference. Another way that God punishes us is loss of reward. He tells us. Those who who walk in this manner, murderers, idolaters, fornicators, adulterers, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The reward, and it's a reward. We should never think of it as anything but. God has said, I will give you this inheritance. He says, I'll take that away if you're walking in disobedience. I can remember most vividly. I I, I got spanked. I got set in time out. I got my mouth washed out with soap. I actually asked for that. My smart aleck guy said, hey, I've never. She's, mom said, you want, you want a spanking or you want your mouth washed out with soap? And I said, I ain't never had my mouth washed out with soap. I only said that one time. I always wanted a spanking after that. So I remember different disciplines that Mom and Dad gave me, but the number one most rememberable, rememberable moment for me is we were going to a movie. And I don't even remember what the movie was. I just remember I wanted to see it so bad. All week long we talked about it. Just couldn't wait. And the day of I got in a fight with Derek, got in a fight with my brother. Mom comes home from work, babysitter says, This is what happened. She looks at me and she says, No movie. For all of us. We all, I, the part of the punishment was my brother hated me because I made him lose the movie. She said, No movie. Didn't think twice about it. Movie's gone. And we never did go see that movie in theaters. I remember just constantly begging her, what about next week? No. No, that reward is gone. And I'm sure I eventually saw it at home. I'm sure we rented it on on VHS. How long ago that was. But we didn't see it. I lost that reward. We need to be a rod in our children's lives. We need to be a force for change. We also need to be an example. If you spend all your time telling your children, don't do this, don't do that, I'm going to punish you for the way that you talk, and yet all the while, you are tearing down the people around you, tearing down your brothers and sisters in Christ, tearing down the guy in the car in front of you on the street, you're wasting your time. Because like the movie, The Sixth Sense, you know that kid, he says, I see dead people. Children have a sixth sense. They see hypocrites. They see them remarkably well, and if we are trying to tell them, "You need to talk kind," and yet they hear us turn right around and fight with one another, you know one of the worst things you can do is badmouth your children, your spouse in front of your children. It's one of the worst things you can do as a parent, because what they, that does is either they don't think enough of that spouse or they don't think enough of you. One of you is going to be hurt. And this is a team effort. We need both. Parents working together on this. So we, we need to not undermine our discipline by doing the very things that we tell our children not to do. We tell them to share and to care and to do kind things for others. And then we see that guy on the street, and I know that guy on the street is probably scamming you. I understand that. And I'm not saying be unwise with your money. I'm not saying... But how do we treat him? We talk about, oh, that low life. He doesn't deserve anything. How are we we telling our children to be selfish or to be unselfish, selfless, and to care if we're going to be acting that way towards others? We have to show them. And we have to correct them when they're wrong, but we have to show them what's right so they see the way that they ought to walk. And here's another one that maybe you didn't think about. We have to be complete. This morning, if you've sat here and you've thought, Yeah, that's right. Those people with kids, they need to hear that. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, I don't have kids, so this lesson really doesn't apply to me. Or, I had kids, but they're grown up now, they're adults, this lesson doesn't apply to me. You need to read 1 Timothy... Excuse me, (laughs) that's not 1 Timothy. You need to read 2 Timothy 3. Flip back over, i tell you, I'm going to mess myself up. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. I took all the energy right out of that, didn't I? You need to read 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. What does that verse tell us? It tells us that the Word of God is inspired. The Word of God is profitable. But the Word of God has a purpose in our lives. Verse 17, it's making the man of God complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. If something happens to me and Holly, I pray that nothing happens to me and Holly. If something happens to me and Holly, there shouldn't be a person here that I couldn't write in my will. You're going to take care of my kids. I'm going to leave them in your care. Because the Word of God makes us complete. Complete to serve. Complete to lead. Complete to parent. And that needs to be a part of our lives even if we don't have children. That I'm reading God's Word I'm thinking, how can I help discipline In the ways that we've talked about. How can I help to be a rod of correction? A force of change. Now I'm going to say right now, and the only thing I wrote for this on here was mama bear. If you're thinking, how can I help be a rod of correction for someone else's kid, you need to remember the mama bear syndrome. Because it is real. It is alive. And if you come to, to any of my children to discipline them, you're going to have to deal with Holly afterwards. And I guarantee you right now that Holly wants you. She wants you to help our children get to heaven. I want you to help our children get to heaven. But you might not be able to do that the same way that we can. But you can still be a rod of change. Just because you might not have the same privileges that we have as their parents doesn't mean that you can't see them doing things that are wrong and say, listen Ryder, listen Easton, listen Madden. Your mom and dad have said don't do that. You shouldn't do that. You don't need to do that. You need to make a change. And I tell you right now if my kids don't want to listen to you at that, don't have a relationship with them. Don't, oh, it's okay. We'll just keep. Let me and Holly take care of that. Bring it to our attention and let us work in their lives. That's what I need. I need you to be that. I need you to be the friend. I need you to be there every opportunity that you can to say, I want to help you all. You're important to me. I love you. I want you to, to go to heaven someday. Are you having a good day? We need to look at, at the children here at Lake Street. And we need to all see them. Remember what Phil said? It's not, we're not like a family. We are a family. My kids are your kids too. And in some way, you bear a responsibility, not the way that I do, but you can help them. And I need you to do that. I need you to be the example. I don't need to be telling them that this is what a Christian looks like. This is what I'm pressing you towards to try to become. And they come be around a family of Christians and see anger, see bitterness, see, see backstabbing, see people that say, well, you know, God's important, but there's other things that are important too in my life and I'm going to focus on those things right now instead of things of God. I need them to see the example that I'm trying to set as well and that Holly's trying to set. We need you. All of us we all need each other we need to be complete and lastly we need to be steadfast and this was probably one of the hardest ones for me East End riders probably I don't know three or four years old Easton's very young and I have to take him out almost every service almost every service i he's talking he's acting up i'm picking him up i'm carrying him out he's crying on my shoulder and the whole time i'm going oh everybody's looking at me there's like 180 people here and they're all looking at me and i hate this it took me a long time to realize that the people that were looking at me were looking at me and saying good job i know it's hard i know it's tough I know that we look at our children and we think, why? We look at our little children when they're small and we say, I don't want to have to discipline them. And we look at our older children and we say, why do I still have to discipline you? I'm tired. I'm ready to give up. I want to quit. And we need to know that Satan's not going to. Satan won't quit. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Peter writes, Satan, the devil, your adversary... He's roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He won't give up. So what do we do? We be sober-minded and we be vigilant. Talk about vigilante justice, vigilante heroes. Those are like the best ones. The ones that are just like, I see what needs to be done. I'm going to get it done. And how many times do they get thanked? You know, you look at Batman. He doesn't get thanked. People hate him in those comics. He's terrible. But he says, I won't quit because it needs to be done. Vigilant. That's the kind of parenting that we need to have. We need to be a friend to our children. We need to be a force in their lives that provokes them to change. We need to be examples. We need to be complete in God's word, studying it, knowing what it means. And we need to not give up. Even when it's hard, even when we're tired, even when Satan is whispering in our ears, just, just let this go. We need to say, No, I love my children. I don't want them to die. I want them to go to heaven with me. Training our children. Actually, let me give you this quote. Theodore Roosevelt. Nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. You know how we reword that? This is his original quote, but most people don't remember it this way. Most people remember it like this. Nothing in life worth doing is easy. Parenting isn't easy. It's hard. But training up a child has only one purpose. Now I started this sermon off talking about elders. You need to know, training up a child is not for the purpose of creating an elder. That is not the purpose of training our children. Training our children goes all the way back to the book of Genesis God made man in His image. And He told man, be fruitful and multiply. God was saying, I want you to fill the earth with people that look like you because you look like me. Training up our children is to say, I want to fill the earth with people who share the love of God, the light of God, His mercy, His patience, His caring nature. I'm going to share that with others. That's what parenting is about. And if you ever look to you and say, well, I don't feel like I can do a whole lot to change, you can do a whole lot to change one little person's life. Three little person's life for me. And if I can do that, who knows what they'll raise up to change in their own lives, in their children, and in their children's children. The purpose of training up a child is to make them in the image of God. Now, we do need elders here. And we need to start looking at eldership like a privilege. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to lead. It's a blessing to be led. Some of those things that we've looked at, people who don't discipline, people who discipline too hard, people who discipline with just talking, what you're doing is you're dealing with the sins of others. You look to your parents or your parents' parents, you look to somebody and say, you didn't do it right. You did it wrong. You hurt me. You, hurt, you, you, were, just, you were awful. And I'm going to do the exact opposite of that. And that's true in an eldership as well. We've all known elders, and we've all seen elderships that weren't right. But let's stop looking at what God has commanded us to have as something that's a bit of a nuisance and start looking at the blessing. And when we are serious about elderships, we will be serious about the way we raise our children. We'll be serious about the things that we do in our lives. And we'll be serious about making everyone, me, You, your children, all of us in the image of God. That begins with belief in His Son and submission to His will. If you are here this morning and you have not done that, you have not looked to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have not believed in Him enough to provoke you to move closer to Him through baptism, then we invite you today to do that. The water here is prepared for those who would look and say, I understand Jesus is the Son of God and I understand that my life is not what it needs to be because sin is separating me from Him. But I also understand that He is powerful enough. He is big enough. He is strong enough to take me from that place separate from Him and draw me into His kingdom. And He promises to do that for those who will turn from their sins and be buried with Him in baptism. Maybe you're here this morning and you've already made those decisions. You've already done that. But you realize in your life you've not been walking according to that. You've not been making yourself an image of God that others, even children, can follow. This morning, we invite you to turn that around as well. Come back to the Lord. Whatever we can do to assist you in that, once you let it be known as we stand and as we sing.